0: Well, we'll see if I remember how to do this. (laughs) Hopefully it's like riding a bike. Hey, speaking of riding a bike... How do you like that for a segue? It was exactly three months ago today on April 16th that Pastor Brent began his tenure as your worship pastor for the duration of my sabbatical. And I'm so grateful that he began that first Sunday with a very thoughtful sermon about the ministry of absence or the ministry of letting go, using the wonderful illustration of needing to let go of his then five-year-old daughter's bike in order for her to fully experience the independence of her own skill and strength and learn how to successfully ride a bike on her own. And in a similar way, Brent suggested, there is a gift, uh, a kind of opportunity in sabbatical seasons, both for the one taking sabbatical which you'll hear more about in the weeks ahead, but also for the community in place during the sabbatical, in part because it's an opportunity for the pastor, in this case, to learn to let go of the bike. There's an opportunity for folks to experience growth, to step in and step up in new ways, to discern and discover new skills and strengths, like riding a bike, that become more real when there's no one else, even a well-intentioned someone else, who might be holding on too tightly. And even having just been back a week, I can already tell you that that has happened, that there have been so many wonderful ways and wonderful things in which this congregation has continued and in new ways done wonderful ministry on behalf of First Presbyterian Church in our community and beyond, and I'm so, so grateful. And excited to see what's happening and what will continue to happen in the weeks and months to come. But this morning, I actually want to reflect on another aspect of Brent's Let Go of the Bike sermon. In which he focused on the reasons, the God-given and the oh-so-necessary reasons that were encouraged in our life of faith, even commanded in Scripture, to take days of Sabbath and perhaps even at times whole seasons of sabbatical. Those words come from the same root, after all. Now, yours and mine most of the time are not likely to be as formal and as structured as what I just experienced, but there can be times in our lives that we set aside a portion of time for a kind of sabbatical season. And I want to think together this morning about what happens or what can happen during those times. And then as the title of today's sermon implies, more importantly, what happens afterwards? In other words, after the ministry of absence or letting go, what about the ministry of returning, of coming home? And with that in mind, I want us to turn this morning to Luke's gospel and the fourth chapter. Let me begin by setting up today's text. The beginning of Luke chapter 4 follows Jesus' baptism early in the gospel. And we're told at the beginning of chapter 4 that the Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness for 40 days where he fasts, and during which time he's tempted by the devil. We'll explore more of that in a few minutes. Jesus returns, we're told, from the wilderness after those 40 days, full of the Holy Spirit. So something has happened to him that's important during that time. He goes out from that place and begins to preach and teach in the local communities and synagogues, and we're told is well received during that time. And then we pick up the story in Luke chapter four, verse 16. Listen to God's word for us today. As Luke writes, when Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day as was his custom. And he stood up and read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor And Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then Jesus began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, may the words now of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, For you alone are our rock and our redeemer. And let all God's people say, amen. Okay. So first, let me be clear. We've not been gone long enough or experienced anything so grand, nor have I fallen and hit my head hard enough as to return to you with some delusions of grandeur that I should be comparing my return from the wilderness, so to speak, to Jesus' return from the wilderness. I don't think I'm arriving back here with any Messiah complex or an inflated sense of my own importance. That's not my intention this morning in choosing this passage from Luke 4. After all, Jesus is Jesus, and I, well, and we, are not. (laughs) Even on our best, well-intentioned, Christ-centered living days, we're not Jesus, But while I, and I think we, may not have those delusions of grandeur, I do think there's something grand that Jesus is trying to teach us in today's lesson. Now, just as a quick aside, if you're curious, while much of our time away these past three months wasn't exactly in what you would ordinarily label the wilderness, we did spend a couple of days in the Sahara Desert, on the southern border of Morocco. I think Michael has a picture Yeah, that's Miriam negotiating her transportation details with a local ride. That actually worked out pretty well. I know you love that picture. (laughs) All right, that's the silliness for today. I actually want to begin this morning by considering the passage immediately prior to what I read about. That is, Jesus' time in the wilderness We're told that he was led by the Spirit into this space for 40 days and that Jesus was tempted by the devil during this time. But I have to wonder if the temptations were only one reason for Jesus' time in the wilderness. After all, did those temptations really take 40 days to transpire? Maybe, maybe there were other insights and inspirations that the Spirit had in store for Jesus, other affirmations and confrontations for Jesus' mind and spirit. We're told by Luke in chapter 3 that Jesus is about 30 years old, having lived his life as a carpenter's son, and presumably as a carpenter himself when we get to this point in the story. Admittedly, we know very little about Jesus' life during those young adult years, But it's reasonable to imagine that it's probably been a pretty ordinary life. Work, family, community, participating in his Jewish faith, rituals, and practices. And if that's true, then perhaps this time in the wilderness is a crucial turning point for Jesus. Before he launches into his ministry and mission. We can only imagine the spiritual, mental, and emotional journey that Jesus is taking as time to prepare for what inevitably and what we now know lies ahead for him. And again, while none of us are called to be Jesus himself or to be many messiahs, we are disciples of Jesus, called to be witnesses of God's love and grace, of light and salt in the world around us. And I don't have to tell you today that that calling seems to get harder every day, given the realities of the world around us. It's hard. So maybe there's something important for us too this morning about the critical role that Sabbath or intentional seasons of sabbatical can play in our lives. Time away, time out. Time out of the ordinary rhythms of life or what I sometimes think of as the autopilot nature of life that we get stuck in, both in good and possibly in bad ways. These times that we choose can be times to disorient and reorient, to deconstruct and reconstruct, to confront some of our assumptions and perspectives, to evaluate or reevaluate what's important, what we value, what makes a difference, what we want to be intentional about choosing for ourselves and our loved ones, rather than just being stuck in a rut or someone else's expectations of us. Brent included in that first sermon a quote from the wonderful theologian Henri Nouwen, who in writing about the ministry of presence and absence said, we must learn to be present with people, but also learn the act of creative withdrawal. Sabbath means cultivating the absence for the sake of loving presence. Let me say that. It means cultivating absence for the sake of Of loving presence. We have to learn to leave so the Spirit can come and do its work in and through us. That's been my experience, and I hope it's always our experience in making those choices for ourselves. That the practice of absence provides an opportunity, a space, in order to more fully and authentically then practice presence with one another. When we're stripped of those ordinary rhythms, the autopilot, then there's an opportunity for the Spirit to reorient and reaffirm our priorities and values. Now, all of us had this experience, of course, during the global pandemic, when we were forced into a kind of wilderness or sabbatical season. And for some of us, we did have profound experiences of reorientation and evaluation. But The truth is that we were forced into that break and some of us just held on with our teeth clenched until we could return to what we hoped would be normal again. There's something different, I think, about intentionally choosing Sabbath and sabbatical that can be life-transforming, life-giving, life-changing. We need these times away regularly in our lives to hear and clarify what we are meant to be about. We need to make space for the Spirit to work in us and through us, too. Brent shared that after he returned from a season of sabbatical at his local church in Pennsylvania, that he was able to redirect his energy to new projects and ministries, let go of his tendency to micromanage. You and me both, brother. And in that time, his congregation discovered new identity, The sabbatical had been a gift both to him and to them, and the best years of his ministry lie ahead. And I pray that is true for us too, and for me as well. I have to admit, and I can't exactly speak for Jesus here, but it's also worth noting, I think, that there is a temptation, or at least there can be a temptation, to stay in the wilderness on sabbatical or even in a Sabbath moment. Maybe not the fasting for 40 days part. That's not so fun. But the temptation to stay in that mode, to stay checked out or off the grid, it's understandable, especially given how crazy the world around us seems to be getting every day. I've been reading a lot of articles and research lately about how especially younger generations, but some of us older generations too, are increasingly choosing to check out from the local news and from cable news. It's just too nuts sometimes, whether we agree with it or disagree with it, and increasingly people are choosing to check out, and I get it. It's hard to stay engaged and informed given all of the challenges in the world around us, and so it would be understandable that we don't want to face the Spirit's challenge to be reshaped and reoriented and then to be sent back into the world to re-engage wouldn't it be nice just to stay away? And yet there's something to consider about the ministry of returning, of reengaging. And one way that I was helped to look at it this week as I studied for this morning's sermon was by really looking again at those temptations of Jesus, again in the passage before the one I read in Luke chapter 4. I wonder if you would notice too, remembering what those temptations were, that they're all temptations about Jesus' personal needs. First, Jesus is tempted by the devil to turn a stone into bread, understandable given that he is starving after 40 days of fasting. It's a temptation to use Jesus' power over nature, over God's creation to meet his personal needs. Then the devil takes Jesus up and shows him the kingdom of the world. Uh, temptation to use his power over other people to meet his personal needs and then finally a temptation to throw himself off the temple and appeal to God to save him A, a temptation to use his power even over God himself to meet his personal needs and I noticed all these temptations are framed in the first person singular it's about looking out for number one looking out for me To invest my desire for a life of impact, the power that God gives me, my own agency given in creation to meet my own needs, to use my calling towards ends that serve me alone and first. And Jesus, in resisting these three temptations during his time away, discovers that there is a space and time created for him where the Spirit is able to reaffirm what is really important, what matters in life, and how he will use his life now to serve others, the common good and the greater good, rather than just his own needs. Notice Jesus, we are told, returns from the wilderness full of the power of the Holy Spirit, it says in Luke 4.14. That's what we get when we take Sabbath and sabbatical. We are refilled with the power of the Spirit. And just in time, because now we notice in the passage I did read that Jesus stands up and reads from the prophet Isaiah. And notice that what he reads in affirming his call in the world, is not about his own status. It's not about his influence or his affluence. It's not about his own security or his safety In fact, it's going to be just to the contrary, isn't it, in his own life? Instead, he declares that his life now, in following the call of God, is going to be about bringing good news to the poor, proclaiming release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, letting the oppressed go free, and proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus' life has been reoriented outwardly to serve others, and not just to serve himself. And that reorientation takes place when he takes time away out of the fray of ordinary everyday life. I can tell you just as one point among many that I'll share over the next several weeks, that one of the learnings for Miriam and myself during this time has been an affirmation for us about the power and importance of community in our lives the intentionality that we need to constantly be giving to nurturing important relationships for us. That we cannot do this life, especially this life of faith on our own, nor are we called to. And we've come back with a profound sense of the importance of investing in this community of faith in each and every one of you in your lives and in the lives of our family and friends beyond this circle of faith. And we're so excited to be back and to see all of you again, and to begin that work again of nurturing those in relationships because of the importance that we do this work together and not alone, as I try to say every week in the benediction. For FPC, this time has also meant both affirming and reaffirming important values This congregation as an earth care congregation, leaning into a better understanding what it means to care for God's creation as a part of our calling as human beings. Being a Matthew 25 church that's committed not only to the vitality and health of this congregation, but engaging in real issues in the world around us, including issues about people living in poverty or facing discrimination or other challenges, That we don't shy away from those things just because we disagree at times about what they are and how to address them. But instead we dig in and figure out what Jesus is calling us to do and to be about. We see it even in the ways that this campus continues to be used. In the ways that our buildings and grounds and facility staff make space for programs like the Matthews House to hold summer school classes for our local school district where kids who have fallen behind, often because they are living in hard situations, including poverty, are able to get credits uh, here to get caught up in school, in an environment that loves them and surrounds them with care and compassion and affirmation. It's phenomenal to see what has continued to happen. We hosted again a Bike to Work Day on behalf of the City of Fort Collins program we had almost 500 people come by to visit us here at First Presbyterian and a whole bunch of you made over 500 muffins. I can't imagine what 500 muffins looks like. And was told there were enough left over for you to have for fellowship the next morning. What a joy. This morning I got to see Carly Hoskins, our director of youth ministry. She got back late last night with our youth group who's been away this week. Having a phenomenal adventure experience here in Uh, the Rocky Mountains, but that experience being tied to important lessons about their own life of discipleship and faith. She teared up this morning as she told me about the ways in which some of our kids came back saying, this trip has been one of the most important experiences in my life of faith. I feel closer to God now than I've ever felt before because of the experience I've had and because of the connection that we have together in this youth group. We see disciples being made at all ages. And still, even with all of this good news this morning, I have to admit that the truth is we're only here an hour a week, only here in worship for an hour a week, and then we get tossed back out into the world for another 167 hours, don't we? And in that world, we encounter an awful lot of brokenness and fear and division. So I'm left wondering do we really think even on our best days that we can make a difference? You'll notice that Jesus own proclamation of faith here in Luke chapter 4, his own proclamation is aspirational after all. Because even in Jesus lifetime, amazing as it was, did he fully complete the work of bringing good news to the poor or recovery of sight to the blind? Did he release all of the captives or let all of the oppressed go free? No, he didn't, and those first disciples didn't, and we disciples 2,000 years later haven't completed that work either. There are still people living in poverty, longing for good news. There are still captives and those who are blind and oppressed. And in acknowledging that reality, we have to ask ourselves, is it aspirational to live into this hope to which we have been called, or, or is it just foolish? Professor of theology Barbara Crafton writes, Scripture is more often full of hope than reality, isn't it? Peace on earth proclaimed when there is no peace yet. The inversion of unjust power hierarchies proclaimed when they are in fact still firmly in place. At first glance, it all seems a bit premature. Don't we look foolish sometimes singing our liberation while still in chains? Returning to where we began this morning, maybe it's time for all of us to embrace some delusions of grandeur after all. Professor Crafton goes on to suggest that it is that ongoing work to which we have been called to keep bringing good news to the poor, release to the captives, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. It's a call of we, corporately the body of Christ, living into that messianic hope. And because it's so challenging, because it's more than we could do or even imagine doing on our own, we receive and live into that calling together as the body of Christ and and will be continually renewed and equipped for that work when we're able to choose times for Sabbath, even extended times once in a while for a season of sabbatical. So the Spirit can do its work in you. Offer you, yes, rest and recreation. Nourishment for your mind and body and soul. But also nurture your calling to live beyond yourselves. To live with and for others. To see yourself in the world with new eyes. And then to return. To return home. To live your best life in and for community. And for its common good and greater good. Friends, we are so glad to be home. It's so excited to see what God has in store for us. For all of us next, I believe it truly is going to be good news. Amen.